0: morning. Good morning. I will start my sermon off with an apology right away. We're not going to be in Revelation this morning. As we draw into the end of chapter 20 in Revelation, it's honestly the saddest portion of Scripture, in all of Scripture. But I didn't sleep much last night. Because my heart stirred, my spirit was stirred with frustration and anger and sadness. A situation came up last night that unfortunately too often the church is quiet on truth and do not stand upon the word of God and its authority to speak truth to other people. And too often do we stand silent. In our culture, that is a mess. Mark, your opening prayer this morning, my wife nudged me and said, did you tell Mark what you were preaching on this morning? I said, no. I just told him that we were going to be going around in the Word. But this morning, my heart is heavy. Forgive me if I look a little tired this morning, but like I said, I didn't sleep much last night. The Lord and I wrestled often. But God... And I wasn't even sure this morning, but God stirred my heart to preach something a little different. And yet, it's fitting as an introduction for what we're going to be getting into in Revelation, Lord willing, next week. But there are times where God stirs the heart and the mind and the thoughts because it's relevant. And because God has something to say from His Word about our culture, about our church. I'm not preaching to anybody in particular, but I'm preaching to everybody in general. All of us, each one of us, because none of us walks perfectly before the Lord. This morning, and bear with me, it's going to be a hard sermon this morning. And it's hard for me. And it's hard for me to look out, not just with you guys, but with the church in general. The church is floundering in our culture and around the world. This is not an American problem. This is a world problem. This is a problem that every person will wrestle with because we are all sinners and in the flesh. We're going to look at a few texts this morning and we're going to move around a little bit in the Word. But it's going to be because God's Word is fluid. Because God's word is truth. It is active. It is living. The word of God is living. Why? Because Jesus is the word of God. And because he lives and he moves in the people that he calls his own. And each one of us who say we are Christ, God works in our hearts through the spirit. As Jessica asked me this morning, did you tell Mark what you were preaching? I said, no, the spirit already knows what I'm preaching. And therefore Mark in the spirit can pray in conjunction with what I'm preaching. And it's neat to see the hand of God work even in a small church. We're not large in number. But we are no less important as a part of the church. The nose is a small thing among the members of your body. And it is no less important than the eyes or the ears or the mouth. But again this morning... It's, it's a hard message. It's hard for me to preach, because there's so much passion and hurt that is wrapped up in it, but by God's grace, we'll get through it this morning. Let's pray before we go. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that we can come to your house to worship, and Father, we do not claim the privilege and the right to worship you, but by God's the shed blood of Jesus Christ alone. Father, forgive us for the times where we read your word and we forget what it says. Forgive us for the times where we hear false statements and we refuse to speak the truth in love, or we speak the truth in anger instead of love and we provoke anger instead of compassion and thought. Father, give grace to us to have ears to hear your word this morning. Because through your word, we are changed, we are made new. We are renewed in our minds as we are commanded to be. Father, help us to be faithful, even in the small things. Lord, your word tells us in the book of Zechariah that who is it that despises the day of small things? Lord, our lives are made up of small moments, put together and stacked one upon another. And Father it may, in those moments, because we are people of time, constrained to the moment, may we be faithful with each moment. May we not waste them. May we not be fools in our moments. But may we be wise. May we be broken and contrite of heart, that we may be close to you. May we be drawn closer to Christ. Lord, we sang that beautiful hymn this morning. May we continue to draw nearer to Thee, O Lord, for that is where we as Your people need to be, or else we will be just as the world. Father, bless this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5, please. Matthew chapter 5. a book we are often all familiar with, a section of scripture known as the Sermon on the Mount. This is our springboard. This is our jumping off point this morning. In Matthew chapter 5, we're going to look at verses 14, 15, and 16. It says, you are the light of the world. A city set upon a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket. But on the lampstand." and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Do you know this speaks to the church today? The church is dark. The church says it has a light of Christ, and on Sunday maybe it does shine a little bit. But throughout the week, it is dark because we hide it under a basket. Because we hide it behind the things of this world that are more important. Because we take the light of Christ, and we are ashamed of the glory of the gospel. Why? Because it's hard. It's hard to be a follower of Christ. Jesus promised that. But what are we, as God's children, to do? We are to let our light shine in a way that people see Christ and they see the glory of the gospel, and they glorify God who's in heaven. They don't look at you and say, oh, you're a good man. Oh, you're a good lady. They say, God is great. Why? Because when you live your life to let your light shine, it is different. It is vastly different than the darkness of this world. It does not bow a knee to darkness. It does not follow the whimsical ways of the world. It follows boldly, and tirelessly after the gospel. It follows Christ in the footsteps of the cross. It follows the narrow road, the road less traveled, the road defined by suffering and tribulation and grief, and yet defined by joy and love like nothing else. That is the glory of the gospel, and that is the light we are to shine. And too often we don't let that light shine because we're scared to speak the truth. We're scared to confront sin. We're scared to confront people because they're not part of my church. They're not my problem. I'm sorry. Everybody who names the name of Christ is our problem. And I don't mean that in a way of, hey, you guys are my problem and now I've got to deal with it. It means you have a right in Christ to confront a brother in Christ with sin. Why? Because we are members of one body. We have one Lord and one Master. Therefore, we are a body of Christ united under one banner. We are not separate entities. We are not separate people. We are children of Christ alone. And anybody who tells you different blasphemes the name of God because we are all one body. This book does not teach churches are individual institutions of business, pleasure, or entertainment. It preaches that we are all followers of Christ and we are all accountable one to another. Romans chapter 6, verses 12 through 14 says this, Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, so that you obey its lusts. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. But present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not be master over you. For you are not under the law, but you are under grace. Grace is not a license to sin. Grace is not a license to do as I choose. Grace is not a license to be like the world. I'm going to use this verse more than once. Matthew 18 verse 7. Woe to the world because of its stumbling blocks. For it is inevitable that stumbling blocks will come. But woe to that man through whom that stumbling block comes. This is an admonition to the church. Beware. Be on your guard. Be vigilant. Be watchmen on the towers of your home and of your heart and in your church. Because stumbling blocks will come stumbling blocks as jesus said are inevitable but woe to him through whom they come the church around the world is often a stumbling block do you know silence is a stumbling block if you are silent when you know there is a sin problem you are a stumbling block and a hindrance to the gospel Because you do not confront with truth. Do you know the Spirit of God convicts those who are His of sin? We are called to be like Christ. Therefore we are called in faith to lovingly point out sin that people may not be aware of. People get so callous to sin these days they don't even know that they are sinning. The church has become so callous to sin that it looks like the world and doesn't recognize it. Look at a few facts. I did some homework and pulled up some facts. The average American in 2022, so we just left that year, right? Or in 2023. In 2020, the average American spent 397 minutes a day on the internet. That's six hours and 37 minutes every day. That's a full time job. The average person in the world. Spend seven hours a day on the internet. Seven hours. Seven times five is 35. Good, I passed math, right? Seven times five is 35. An average job that's considered full time is 32 hours or more. Therefore, if you work 40 hours and you're on the internet for 35, you have 75 hours a day or a week that you are on the internet. And that doesn't include the weekends. Where is your time for Christ? Where is your time for shepherding your family? Where is your time for parenting? Where is your time to have a heart broken before God over sin? It is so filled with two full-time jobs, you don't have time for your wife or your children or the church. How do we know this? There's more facts. The average American spends 5.3% of their income on entertainment. Now let me break that down into a real fact here. 50% of the average American's income goes to their mortgage, their car and fuel, and food. So let's take that 50% out of the portion. Out of 50% of the income, 5 and almost a half percent is spent on entertainment. That's a huge portion. We haven't talked about insurance. We haven't talked about property taxes. We haven't talked about medical bills. We haven't talked about giving to the church. We haven't talked about any of that other stuff. And already off the top, we throw five and a half percent out the window on entertainment, on something that is worthless. What value does entertainment add to our lives? Let's break it down some more. In 2022, there was a study done on people who read. Yeah, read. Now, I'm not talking about just the Bible. I'm talking about reading in general outside of your work. What does the average American spend in time reading? So now, remember, this is any material newspaper, articles, books, which we've forgotten what those are, and the Bible. So the Bible is just a small portion of this. In age groups 20 to 24, six minutes a day, six minutes a day is given to reading. Six minutes. We have 24 hours. Six minutes. Don't pat yourself on the back yet. Age group 20 to 34, or 25 to 34, 7.2 minutes a day spent reading. 35 to 44, 9.6. 45 to 54, 15 minutes a day. 15 minutes on average a day. That's all we spend in reading? And what about Christians? If the average is only 15 minutes, how much of that is scripture? How much of that is the Word of God? How much of that is material valued enough to make an impact on your family for the good of Christ? Do you know that 77% of the U.S. has Bibles? Do you want to know the percentage of people that actually read it? There are numbers. That is those 77% in the U.S. that have a Bible in their household. The percentage of those who read the Bible outside of church, a minimum of three or four times in a year, is only 39%. Three or four times a year, people. That's it. Just three or four times outside of a church setting, only 39% of the U.S. read their Bible. Do you know how many that is? From 2021 to 2022, the average dropped 11%. You know how many people that is? 25 million people have walked away from the gospel. 25 million people have thrown the Bible out the window. Why? Because we want to be entertained. Because we want to spend our time on the internet and look at things we shouldn't and speak of things that we shouldn't and hide behind a shell of unreality and fantasy. Because we don't take the scripture at its word. Because we don't think we're approved by anything but what the devil says we are. Oh wait, hold on. I'm a Christian, I got my Jesus card. I'm okay. I got a Jesus card. I don't need the Bible. I don't need anything else. I don't need to live holy. I don't need to be separate. I don't need to be righteous. I need to say, I've got my card and I'm good. If all of y'all are wondering where this comes from, I had an incident last night. My wife made mention to me, since she's on Facebook, and she's not on there very often. She made mention of a person that we know, a family. He's a pastor. His wife was taking her two teenage boys to the new Avatar movie. Y'all know what's in that? Frontal nudity of women. Jesus' name taken in vain as a cuss word. Our God's name taken in vain as a cuss word. Not including all the F-bombs and everything else that's in there. And this is what they're going to see. And then on her post, her husband, who's a pastor, puts a heart. I love that. Y'all know what I did, right? I got on Messenger and I pulled up his name and I sent him a message in love. And I said, Hey, I don't know if you're aware, but this is what's in this movie that your wife and your two teenage boys are going to see. Didn't know if you're aware. I pray that you read the review. I pray that you reach out to them. But I wanted to make you aware. You know what I got back? I got back the answer. Eh, we'll just talk about it when they get home. Where's shepherding? Where's protecting the, the, just the purity of the eyes and the hearts of your children and your wife? We'll talk about it. She'll be mad, but we'll talk about it. So you know what I did? I put my phone down. I was so disgusted. But then I'm like, you know what? Too many people say nothing. So I picked my phone back up and I confronted him with his sin. And I told him, you need to reach out to your family, to your wife and your children and grab them out of the filth that they are willingly putting themselves to see. You need to protect them and shepherd them. We'll go out and blaspheme the name of Christ on Sunday and then we'll sit here like we're good little Christians on Sunday. This is not how the gospel works. Too many of us have believed the lie that I've got my Jesus card, therefore I'm okay. Do you know that's a lie out of the pit of hell? Turn to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. Jesus confronted this. Verse 22. The eye is the lamp of the body. So then if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. That's what we were talking about, right? Being a light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? How often do we guard our eyes and our hearts? And then he says, no one can serve two masters. Now he's talking of money here but fill in the blanks. What do you serve as your idol? Obviously, the average American serves the internet. Do you know the internet is not a really good place? Do you know that entertainment, if you read the Hollywood story, is to pervert people, to make them callous to sin, to grow them in their lustful desires? Do a study on the history of Hollywood. That's what you'll find. It was the whole point and purpose of them starting Hollywood in the first place. And we have continued to go down the road as a church and make no differentiation between the world and what we do at church. That I do the church on Sunday and I live like the world the rest of the week. That I approve of things that the world says is good and God says is wicked. I look at the things of the world and I lust after those. And I spend no time with Christ. And I wonder why my house is in disarray, why my children go off the deep end, and why the church is so small. I don't know how many times you guys have felt it, but it's sometimes I feel like Elijah, Lord, where is everybody? Why am I alone? And I know I'm not alone. But man, it feels that way sometimes. The truth is just discarded because it's not convenient. Because I want to do this with my life, but if we spend 75 hours a week on average, not taking care of our personal spiritual lives, not taking care of our wives, not taking care of our children, what are we doing? We are leading generations to the pit of hell. That's exactly what we're doing. We are neglecting the weightier truths of Scripture for the practical, or for the impractical, impractical and insensible joys of oh I like this we are so consumed with being entertained that we have forgotten how to sit under the word of God we have forgotten how to pray we have a shepherding and a protecting mandate in scripture do we take it serious and I'm sorry ignorance is not the answer You know, that's one of the excuses I got back in that that message. Well, I don't follow that stuff. I don't know what's in it. Ignorance is not an excuse. How do you shepherd your family and God's people and not know what's going around? I don't follow entertainment, but you know what? I know what the heck is going on in it. Why? Because I need to warn my people. Because I need to shepherd well. Because I need to keep unstained from the world. I'm not perfect please don't take it that way. I am not perfect by a long shot. If you don't believe me, ask my wife. But we cannot stick our head in the sand and expect to be okay. How do we know that ignorance is not an excuse? Turn to Proverbs chapter 13. Proverbs chapter 13. Proverbs 13, verses 15 and 16. Proverbs 13, verses 15 and 16. Good understanding produces favor, but the way of the treacherous is hard. Every prudent man acts with knowledge, but a fool displays folly. You know what that's saying? It's saying ignorance is not an excuse because if you want to be a prudent man, you will act with knowledge. How do you get knowledge? after it how do we know what knowledge is the bible defines it very well understanding and knowing God knowing what God desires knowing what righteousness and truth is understanding the ways of holiness that's knowledge that's wisdom that's what we ought to be pursuing not acting like a fool Oh, I didn't know. It's not an excuse. We're not going to stand before Christ on that day and say, Lord, I just didn't know. It's not our excuse. Romans 6. Go ahead and turn there, please. Romans 6. God is not silent on these things. Romans 6. Verses 20 through 22. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. Therefore, what benefit were you deriving from the things from which you are now ashamed? Do you know the church has lost its shame? It no longer feels shameful to do the things we ought not to do. We no longer feel shame for our sin or that we're leading our children in that or that we're pushing our church through routine just because that's what we're supposed to do. As good little Christians, we go to church, we fill our pew. You know what I mean, people? Why do we have to tell everybody, hey, turn your phones off during the service? You ever been to a church that they make that announcement from the front? Yeah, why? Because people are so enraptured with what's on their phone that we have to tell them to turn it off. Watch people go out and about. We were driving them to go out to supper last night. I took my wife out on a date. And you have this person zigzagging all over the road. Why? Because they're going like this while they're trying to drive down the road. Go to the grocery store. People aren't even out of their car with their door closed and they're already on their phones. People live in a device. The real world's out here. People are what matter. 25 million souls are going to hell because they've thrown their Bible out the window last year. 25 million. That's a huge number. We wonder why our country is in such disarray and why the church looks like it does. 25 million. How long does it take to get that many people? 25 billion. In one year. Because we forget that the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. We forget that God's command is be holy because I am holy. Holy. Or in the words of Jesus in Matthew 5, 48, be perfect, because your heavenly Father is perfect. Verse 23, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. But back up. Verse 22, Since we're not ashamed, but now having been freed from sin, and enslaved to God. So there's a difference. We're either going to be enslaved by the things of this world, or we're going to be enslaved by God. We're either going to feel shame for our sin, because our shame shows us the point of the cross. That it's me that put Christ there. It was me that gave him stripes. It was me, my sin. But then if we are free from sin and enslaved to God, what do we do? You derive your benefit, resulting in sanctification. Where is the church's sanctification? Where is it? I don't see it very often. Sanctification is growth and maturity. How do you do that when you're not engaged in life? Do you know they're coming up with a new internet? I don't even know the name of it. I forget what it is. They're coming up with a new internet to replace the internet now. And it's all fantasy-based. Everything. Do a little research on it. I know Todd knows about it. Because he was talking to his friend about starting a business to start moving things over. It's scary what they're going after. People have been so engrossed in media and technology and social media and entertainment... That they are not living in the real world and they're living in a fantasy world, and then we wonder how people just go off the track. They've been pushing this agenda for years, and the church has been silent or participatory. We entertain our church children with entertainment. We see kids as young as six years old running around with smartphones. Why? Because that's what we're breeding. We're breeding children that are immune to the sin and dangers of entertainment. To sin. Why talk about real things when we can have them play with a device and be entertained and babysat? Why do what I want to do? It's rampant in our culture. And we sit back and say nothing. Go to 1 Corinthians 15, please. Paul gives us a great admonition through the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 15. And oftentimes we don't look at the whole context of the verse. In verse 33. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 33. Do not be deceived. Therefore, what? We ought to be alert, aware. Aware. Understand the truth. Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Do you know if you translate the Greek, it actually means evil company corrupts good habits. That's how you can actually read it in the Greek. Good habits. Godly habits. Prayer. Fasting. Reading the word of God. God. Teaching and discipling your wife and your children, ministering to your family, ministering to your church, ministering to your community, ministering to those you come in contact with. You've lost the idea that bad, corrupt company corrupts good morals or good habits. Do you know bad company isn't just people? It's entertainment. You keep the company that occupies you, the people that are on what you're watching our people, and that you idolize them and you set them on this pedestal and, oh, this person came out with a new movie and I have to see it because I watch all their stuff. Bad company corrupts good morals and good habits. Our habits are formed by the things that we are entertained with and the things that occupy our time. And Americans, on average, occupy their time with garbage. Utter garbage. And we wonder why we're so godless. Why transgenderism is rampant in our schools, in churches, in communities. Homosexuality. Now it's just it's same-sex marriage. It's not sodomy. We don't want to offend. This is the stuff that Satan has been gleefully laughing about. First, generations. Because we've been duped into the lie, I have a Jesus card, therefore holiness doesn't matter. And it does. It absolutely does. So, is there other places that talk about bad company corrupting good morals? Yes. Go back to Proverbs 13, please. Proverbs chapter 13. Proverbs 13 and verse 20. He who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Proverbs 14, verse 7. Leave the presence of a fool, or you will not discern words of knowledge. Proverbs 22. Flip over a few pages. Proverbs 22. Verses 24 and 25. Do not associate with a man given to anger, or go with a hot tempered man, or you will learn his ways and find a snare for yourself. How much stuff on the TV, or the movies, or the internet is not full of angry people? Do you know that we see murder and anger on the rise in our country? Why? Because we have followed the angry man and learned his ways and found a snare for ourselves. We have followed corrupt people and been corrupted in our morals and in our habits. We have kept bad company. We don't keep company with God and His Word and in prayer because we practically barely don't even read. And we wonder why our hearts have been so led astray. Do you know 1 Corinthians 13, I mean 15, verse 33 that we just talked about? Bad company corrupts good morals or good habits. Paul is talking about false teachers. That whole section is on false teachers that were teaching a false doctrine that there's no resurrection. It's the whole premise of it. False teachers. False teachers corrupt good habits and good morals. And we fill our lives with them. They don't just have to be the people that are in a pulpit preaching. False teachers are everywhere. Antichrist is everywhere. Anything that is antithetical is a false teacher. And we fill our lives with it. I'm reading a book on marriage and parenting right now. And you know, you can ask any man here, Would you lay down your life for your wife? You know what the answer is going to be? Yes. Yes, I would. Would you kill your flesh for your wife? Because you're the biggest enemy in your marriage. Because my flesh, if I yield to it, dictates depravity in my marriage and with my children. Because if I let my flesh have its lusts and I don't put to death my flesh each day, it will rule my household. It will set the tone of my marriage. It will set the tone of my children in the way that they grow. Because if I don't put to death the deeds of the flesh and grow in the deeds of the Spirit and life, my family is lost before I even begin. Because it's about the book. It's about holiness. It's about truth. It's about the gospel of Jesus Christ. If we do not remove our flesh from daily life, we yield to it. So many men forget the fact that we need to protect our families by putting to death daily the deeds of the flesh. The Apostle Paul said that. Daily I beat my body into submission. It's a physical act. It's spending time in the Word, time in prayer, time meditating on the truths of God's Word, time living the gospel. If you're not doing that you're failing if I'm not doing that I'm failing and then if I stand up here woe to me if I'm not living the gospel if I'm not putting to death the deeds of my flesh on a daily basis are we willing to put to death our sin nature through the power of God's spirit because he has already set us free do we live in freedom or do we live in bondage we have to make that choice on a moment by moment basis because we are constricted to time and because we are not perfect and because we still live in our flesh we need to make that choice deliberately on a moment by moment basis take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ you know how often you have a thought i don't know the scientific number so i'm not going to pretend that i do but it's a lot but if the bible says take every thought captive why do we let so many go why do we let so many stray because i'm tired because i don't feel like it it's not an excuse it's not an excuse again go back Uh, i'll go back But I said I was going to reference Matthew 18 and verse 7 again. And I'm going to do that now. Matthew 18 and verse 7. Woe to the world because of its stumbling blocks. For it is inevitable that stumbling blocks come. But woe to that man through whom the stumbling block comes. Are we stumbling blocks in our families? Are we stumbling blocks in our marriages? Are we stumbling blocks in our church? Because you know what? This is speaking to every one of us. He's speaking about the kingdom of God. And this is the one chapter in the whole New Testament that Christ speaks of the church. Specifically. And you know what it is? Dealing with sin in the church. It's important. But you got to deal with sin in your life first. I'm not going to go to my brother and say, Hey, dude, you got a speck this long in your eye but I don't see the log that's sticking out of my my eye hitting you in the head while I'm talking to you. We forget personal holiness first. Then move. God said David was a man after his own heart. David was not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. And David failed most in parenting. If you don't believe me, read about his life and his kids. Many godly men in scripture failed at parenting. Don't fail in parenting because you lose a generation, or two, or three, or four. Go to Psalm chapter 101. This psalm is known as the royal resolution. David made a resolution when he was king. And this is a copy of that resolution. It was known as a royal resolution to make a statement about the way that he would be as king. Psalm 101. I will sing of loving kindness and justice. To you, O Lord, I will sing praises. How do you do this? He's going to explain. I will give heed to the way of integrity or a blameless way. When will you come to me? I will walk within my house in the integrity of my heart. We had this conversation this morning. You no longer need to go out and show people, hey, I'm going to watch this movie. You can pay for it in the comfort of your own home. You can hide your sin in your own house because it's so readily available. But I will walk within my house in the integrity of my heart. How do we do this? Verse 3, I will set... No worthless thing before my eyes. How many worthless things do we put in front of our eyes? In the eyes of our children? In the eyes of our spouses? In the eyes of the church? Or our community? Do you know most people, when they look at Christians, they see hypocrites? Blasphemers. Why? Because so few Actually, don't say it. No, I'm good. I got my Jesus card right here. Not a hypocrite. I got freedom and grace. You know what your freedom and grace is? To live holy. To live righteous. But I will set no worthless thing before my eye. I will hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not fasten its grip on me. And let me tell you, he is out. Satan is out to set his grip on you. is. What did God say to Cain? Sin is crouching at your door, but you must learn to master it. We obviously know Cain did not do that. Do we? Sin no less crouches at our door. Sin no less seeks to be a master over us. Are we aware of that? Are we mastering that? It takes effort. You don't become a master overnight. Ask anybody that's considered a master in what they do, and it has taken years of discipline and practice and failure. We fail, people. We fail, often. Does it turn your guts? Does it squeeze your heart? Does it bother you? If it doesn't, it should. A perverse heart shall depart from me, and I will know no evil. Whoever secretly slanders his neighbor, him I will destroy. No one who has a haughty look and an arrogant heart will I endure. My eyes shall be upon the faithful of the land that they may dwell with me. He who walks in a blameless way is the one who will minister to me. He who practices deceit shall not dwell within my house. He who speaks falsehood shall not maintain his position before me. Every morning I will destroy or silence all the wicked of the land, so as to cut off from the city of the Lord all who do iniquity. It is the resolution that David made, and yet we know from David's life he is not a perfect man, and he failed in this. But do we take heart in the truth of God's word, that because we are children of Christ, we have the strength and the ability to do this very thing. It starts with setting no vain thing before our eyes. We must teach ourselves, our spouses and our children, to stop setting things before our eyes. Nothing worthless. Nothing vain. You guys know where the book of Zechariah is? Go ahead and turn there for me. Yeah, I've been studying the book of Zechariah lately. And there's a lot in there that's difficult. There's a lot in there that's real life. It's in a time where Israel again is estranged from God and dispersed among the nations. And there's things in here that Zechariah is shown by the Lord And God makes a point to push hard on things. And I just got done reading through this section yesterday. It's kind of funny how that happens, how God continues to press on things, not knowing how they're going to intertwine with other things that happen throughout the day. But in Zechariah chapter 7, In the fourth year of King Darius, the word of the Lord came to Zechariah on the fourth day of the ninth month, which is Chislev. Now in the town of Bethel, now the town of Bethel had sent Sherezer, I don't even know how to pronounce the next one, Regimelech, and their men to seek the favor of the Lord. Speaking to the priests who were, who belonged to the house of the Lord of hosts and to the prophets saying, shall I weep in the fifth month and abstain as I have done these many years? Now it sounds like he's a righteous man, but listen to the rebuke of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord of hosts came to me, saying, Say to all the people of the land and to the priest, When you fasted and you mourned in the fifth and the seventh months, these seventy years, was it actually for me that you fasted? That gets down to the heart of it. What is our motivation? Is it routine? Is it because I know I'm supposed to do this? Or is it out of a heart that's truly devoted to Christ? Then the word of the Lord of hosts came to me, saying, Was it actually for me that you fasted? And when you eat and drink, verse 6, do you not eat for yourselves, and do you not drink for yourselves? Are not these the words which the Lord proclaimed by the former prophets when Jerusalem was inhabited, and prosperous along with its cities around it, and the Negev and the foothills were inhabited? Then the word of the Lord came to Zechariah, saying, And here's our memory verse, people. Thus has the Lord of hosts said, Disperse true justice and practice kindness and compassion each to his brother. Do not oppress the widow or the orphan, the stranger or the poor, and do not devise evil in your hearts against one another. But they refused to pay attention and turned a stubborn shoulder and stopped up their ears from hearing. They made their hearts like flint so that they could not hear the law and the words which the Lord of hosts had sent by His Spirit through the former prophets. Therefore, great wrath came from the Lord of hosts. And just as He called, and they would not listen, so they called, and I would not listen. Do we do things because we love God with a sincere heart? Or do we practice things, because we think we will gain points with God. Lord, I follow all these commands. But what did God say? here and also Christ to the Pharisees. You follow these things, yet your heart is far from me, because you forget the weightier things of the law. To love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. We forget the things that are behind the statements of God. You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, he who looks upon a woman with lust in his heart has already committed adultery in his heart. We forget the heart matters of God's word. We turn our hearts like flint and give God the cold shoulder and then say, Lord, I'm calling. Will you listen? God doesn't work that way. God doesn't work that way. We're going to end with a few verses. Go to Philippians chapter 4, please. Y'all will probably know where I'm going. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Providing a great close to his letter to the Philippians, Paul says this, Philippians 4, 8. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise dwell on these things, what are we to do in our worship? Praise the Lord. If anything is excellent, it is of God. If anything is pure, it is of God. If anything is honorable or true, it is of God. Because we know the little God of this world is the father of lies. These are the things we to set before our eyes and in our hearts. Not the worthless things of the world. Not the things that add no value. Not the things that destroy marriages and churches and children. We are to set the things of God before our eyes and in our hearts. And we are to be a people set apart for His glory. We are to be peculiar. And yes, you will stand out. And yes, you will be mocked and made fun of. But it's worth it. What did Jesus say? What value is it to gain the whole world and let you lose your soul? What are we gaining in our lives, day in and day out? 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Verses 5 and 6. Paul goes about with this statement. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ and we are ready to punish all disobedience whenever your obedience is complete. How do we put down untruth? How do we put down the lies of the world? Because we're not waging war against people. We're waging war in the spiritual realm. And it makes itself known in the people realm. What are we doing? Are we destroying speculations? How do you do that? With the knowledge of Christ. How do you knock down every lofty idea? with the knowledge of Christ? How do you know God's Word if you don't spend any time in it? How do you fight the lie if you don't know the truth? How do you stand in integrity if your life doesn't display it? These are the things we ought to ask. Jump down to verse 17. But he who boasts, boasts in the Lord, for it is not he who commends himself that is approved, but he whom the Lord commends. Me saying I got a Jesus card doesn't commend me to God at all. God must commend me to Himself. And to prove that point, we'll get into it next week, but we're going to close with this verse. Go to Matthew chapter 7. Jesus put this idea down quickly and early in His ministry. Matthew chapter 7. Verses 22 and 23. These are the most terrifying words to hear. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name cast out demons? And in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. It doesn't matter if they say, Lord, I got my Jesus card. I did all this stuff on Sundays for you. It is of whom the Lord approves that is worthy to stand before Him because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Are we worthy of the gospel we preach? Are we testing ourselves to make sure we are in the faith and running well? The Apostle Paul tells us, test yourself. It's not a suggestion. It's not a suggestion. That also is in 1 Corinthians 15. Because at the end of the day, if you never test yourself, you don't know your aptitude and where you're at. You don't know your heart if you never ask God to search it. Why? Because the heart is deceitful above all else. Who can know it? The scripture says that. Therefore, God is telling you, don't trust your heart. You don't know it. It will deceive you. Ask God to reveal your heart. David said, search me, O God. Do we ask that? Do we ask God to press his finger as he did often on Israel? Lord, what is my sin that I'm not aware of that I'm struggling with? And if you think you don't have one, you're in a world of hurt. Because we all struggle. Every one of us. What are we going to serve? Joshua asked that question of the nation of Israel right before they went in, right? Whom are you going to serve? He said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And that cliched phrase has been thrown around in all Christendom for generations. But how few actually believe those words and follow the cross and chase Christ and humbly come before him on knees worn out because of prayer. A man who prays often is a man who is close to God. Not because we have many words, not because we're eloquent of speech, but because in the humility of our hearts we know we cannot do this life without Him. We know that we will always set vain and worthless things before our eyes if we're not seeking the glory of Christ in our life. If we're not seeking in humility to be drawn close to our God. The church is silent too much. It is time to speak the truth in love. Not because we want to be right. Not because we want to say, y'all sin, y'all ain't good enough. But because 25 million people in America have thrown their Bibles out the window and are going straight to hell because they don't know it. Because Christians are too scared to offend with the gospel. 25 million people. That's just in America. That's not around the world. That's here in our backyard. And we don't teach our children that reading the Bible every day, consistently, in good portions of time is important. We say, oh, you meet the minimum average, six minutes is enough. That barely gives time for the page to warm in your hand. It doesn't give time for God to speak to you through the truth of his word. So many people say, I don't ever hear from God, I don't know what he's saying. That's because we're so callous to his spirit, we don't listen. Because we don't spend time in the word and time in prayer to find out what God has to say. We're looking for a new great revelation. We're looking for our burning bush experience. God is a God of the word. Jesus said, I am the word. I am the way, the truth, and the life. A word, the expression of a thought. Jesus Christ is the expression of the thought of God. Given to mankind as a gift. But also given as a judgment. And we know that God will judge the the world in righteousness through Jesus Christ. We're going to study that, Lord willing, next week. But I'm telling you what, it's a heavy topic. It's the most brutal topic of all scripture. That people are going to hell. That people are so lost in their sin that they love it and decide, I don't ever want to turn to God because I love what I'm doing. It's not important enough. i got time later on to do it. How do you know that? Are you God? Are you sovereign? Do you know the number of your days? What did Moses pray? Teach me the number of my days that I may present to you a heart of wisdom. Moses, who was bogged down with multiple millions of deaths of his own people that happened around him through 40 years in the desert because of disobedience, The man who should be bogged down with the most grief and the weight of anguish in his heart continued to seek God in his word and in prayer. Lord, teach me a heart of wisdom. Moses who sinned and didn't get a chance to go into the promised land. Why? Because he was frustrated with people. That's what it comes down to. Instead of speaking to the rock, he struck it. He disobeyed. You know what? We all disobey. But we all also have the promise of being able to go into the promised land. The land that is coming one day in a new heaven, and a new earth that's never been tainted by sin. Not touched by it. Not even a one iota. Not even a little. As great as the millennial kingdom will be, it's still touched by sin. Because this world is still touched by it. Because people live in it. Because people of flesh will still be here. As great as it is, it's still tainted. But the new heaven and new earth, they won't. There'll be no touch of sin. It'll be pure righteousness. I don't know about you. Man, I look forward to that day. I no longer have to weep over the condition of people that are around me because they refuse to bow the knee to Christ. Christ. Or because they think they're okay because they have a Jesus card. Y'all, that's not fire insurance. It's an excuse, it's a shallow understanding of the gospel. And the church needs to speak the truth in love to win souls for Christ. As Jude said, to snatch those out of the fire. Wow, hating the garment polluted by the flesh. You gotta hate sin. You gotta hate it. If you don't, you'll enjoy it. I'm not preaching this to just you guys. Trust me. It's been a hard morning. But a good morning. Because we know that God is good. We know that God is alive and working in His church. And we know that God is helping us to walk. In our sanctification, day by day and moment by moment. But we need to excel still more. We need to be honestly committed to Christ and Christ alone. You can't serve two masters, you can't. So, who are we going to serve? Christ or our flesh? It's two choices. That's it. It's not multiple avenues. Just 2 Just <clears throat> pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you humbly, brokenhearted, feeling weighted and heavy. But Father, those are the truths of your word. Those are the truths of mankind that man so loves his sin. That he'll do anything to keep it. Father, help us to be faithful children of righteousness, to pursue holiness, to pursue Christ with our every living and waking breath. Father, help us to be people that don't set vain and worthless things before our eyes, that we set before our eyes the things which are pure and honorable and true and holy. That we would set your word before our eyes and read it more than six minutes a day, even more than the 15 minutes a day that is at the top end of the list. That we would be people committed to the way of Christ. That we would be people committed to the 25 million who threw their Bibles out the window last year, not including the untold millions that already don't have it. Father, may we be a remnant that has a light burning brightly. May our darkness not be dark, but may we be the light of life because Christ is shining in our lives and in our moments and in our thoughts. Teach us to take every thought captive to Christ, to obedience. Why? Because Jesus said, those who love me obey me, but not in the admonition that you gave to Israel in Isaiah 29 for these people draw near to me with their words and their lips and yet their hearts are far from me because their traditions are made up of routine. Father, may we be a people who are alive and living in Christ Jesus. Who are hungry for righteousness, who are thirsty for the truth, and who are motivated at a compassionate heart to preach the truth in love to our neighbors to those we come in contact with, but also, most importantly, to ourselves. We must preach their word and truth to our own hearts. Father, help us to be a people set apart for your glory and not for your dishonor. We ask that you will just continue to prick our hearts, that you would continue to push On areas that we need to yield to you. Because we all have them. And may we honor you in our worship. Not just today. But in the moments of our days. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.